With the pack on my shoulder, my face is loaded. I'm leaving, leaving this place. If they ask me why I'm leaving, I'll say I've got my reasons. I'm leaving, I'm leaving. St. John 14, 1 through 4, the story why I'm leaving this place. If you want to know the story, read it for yourself, the story why I'm leaving this place. shoulder 
my face is loaded. I'm leaving. I'm leaving this
Well, Janet Lee, you own the sound line. It belongs to the tips of your fingers and the rhythm of your mind. God bless you with that style that you perform. And hello there, ladies and gentlemen, all you people that have an ear. Let you hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say today. This is Sunday, and it is the 24th of January. And this is Jerry Lee presenting to you Exodus 13, The Callings. From the flyer that I sent out in the mail, it goes this way. The present life of this world has many roads. But of the billions of people who live in this world, many have thin consistencies for knowing boundaries and finding a road that can finish the journey. Then there is a telling about life that needs to be said. This telling has stories of intrigue and wonder. The most important part of this telling is whether or not the telling has connection to the special callings, the story and connection to the Exodus escape revelation. The story is a story about a journey, and it's connected to Abraham and Melchizedek, to Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Moses said, The Lord will raise up a prophet from the midst of my brother like unto me. Deuteronomy 18.15, KJV. And Paul in Acts 3.20-22 confirms the case that the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15 refers to Jesus Christ. Further, the reveal in Matthew 2.15 tells how that as a child, the parents of Jesus took him to Egypt to escape the plan of Herod to kill him. The escape from Herod by fleeing to Egypt was part of a mission to fulfill the prophecy, Out of Egypt I have called my son. So then, the connection and the calling of Moses is deeply connected to the Christ picture. The hand of death that tried to kill the baby Moses has a parallel in the hand of death that would try to kill the child Jesus. There was a destiny of fulfillment. That was a continuing part of the Exodus escape revelation. The spectrum of the call callings involved time, space, and dimensions of the where of places. The Bible describes Moses being called out of the mountain, being called out of the burning bush, being called out of heaven. There are deep and profound revelations of these callings. These said callings just scratch the surface of the teaching that will be given to you Sunday, today. And so, it is extremely, absolutely crescent that people understand the important connection between the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses and the whole Exodus escape and the revelations involved with that that are still unknown to most of the world. It is so important 
the revelation of the Passover and how connected that that is to Jesus, as we will see as we get into these deep, deep 30, 60, 100-fold researches. Now, we want to take this thing about the callings back to the beginning of, of a person's life. And someone would say, oh, well, do you mean after that person has been born? No, I mean before that person has been born. While that person is still in the womb of the mother, we call this state an embryonic impanation. E-M-B-R-I-O-N-I-C-I-M-P-A-N-A-T-I-O-N. Embryonic impanation. It's an old Latin term, and it means in the pot, and it means more than that, according to the Catholics. The Catholics see it as being involved in their teachings of invination and transubstantiation. And there are some interesting thoughts that the Catholics have on those two subjects. And they're, very, they're fairly brave concepts of how incredible the power of the transfiguration and transformation of God's power can be. And we'll see where we can go according to time with any more, rela more uh, refer uh, reference to that. But this all actually has to go back and tie in to the book of the generations of Adam and the book of life, the embryonic impanation. Now, Moses was called on his mission, on his destiny, before he was born. And we can see that this is not something that just happened to one person. Jeremiah in chapter 1, 4 through 5, says, Before I was formed, and this is God speaking to him in like the prophecy spirit, Before I was formed, uh, uh, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before you came forth, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet. Now, can you get this deep? Can you get this really deep? That before he was formed into a child form. While he was in the belly, the impanation in the pot, in the belly, it says, by the Spirit of God, I knew you. I knew you before you were born. And he said, while you were there in that state, in that embryonic impanation, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet. Now we have to understand, when we start talking about the callings of God, 
they just don't necessarily happen at some time at a certain age on Waltz Street or Happy Avenue or Disaster Hill. They many times are pronounced and, and are destined before you are even fully developed in the embryonic form. And this embryonic impanation is all part of the callings that are so absolutely important to understand. In Isaiah 49, 1-5, it says, And the Lord called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother, and he made mention of my name. Wow. And in Isaiah 48, 1, Hear, Judah, you who are come out of the waters of Judah. And, of course, the Judah represents the Judean people. And this goes along with Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born again of the Spirit. You must be born again of water, which he's talking about a natural birth, not a baptism in water or baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about a natural birth. That was a, a necessity. There was a reason for being in these physical bodies. And in Luke 1, 15, Jesus tells how that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost during the time that he was in his mother's womb. These are all things that are happening while people are in an embryonic state. They have, their bodies are not even formed to be a little person yet. Even not, even not hardly partially. Now, this so beautifully ties in with a couple other scriptures. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Before the foundations, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be, that we should be without blame before him in love. Now, there's a calling, ladies and gentlemen. There's a calling, my brothers and sisters. That is something that belongs before the foundations of this world. That calling has existed. It's imbued into the universe. It's imbued into every atom, every molecule, every, every particle of every atom. And in that imbuement, we are chosen in God. And we are chosen to have a destiny and to reach a destiny of being without blame before God. And not only being without blame in God, but being without blame in God in love. So there is this high state of spirit and high state of mind that God has promised us. It's the destiny, it's a calling that is given to us that dates back before the foundations of the earth. Now, substantiation of that is in Romans 8, 29 through 30. For whom he did foreknow, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son, 
and whom he and whom he predestinated, he also called. We're talking about the callings. He also called to be justified and glorified. Now I want to tell you this revelation of the escape, the Exodus escape. And this number 13 called the callings is a very, very important classification of information for you. And it tells you that there is a predestiny that belongs to you. It has to do about your coming into this justification by grace so that you come into the callings that call you to be justified and glorified. And that's what it says in Romans 8, 29 through 30. We know there was a time when Paul was a very religious person, but he was into it in a way that he thought was right, and he gave him his whole self to it. Then he found out on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him that he had been in the wrong call. And in Galatians 1, 15 through 20, he wrote, It pleased God to separate me. I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them who were apostles, but I went to Arabia and returned to Damascus. After three years, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. But the other apostles, I saw none. Wow. Now, here's a very interesting scripture in Galatians 3, 7 through 8. They which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. If any of you are whining out there and say, well, you know, I wasn't born into the Israelites. I'm not a Jew. I'm not of the seed of Abraham. You're only saying those kind of things because you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the Bible. Because the Bible says, the Bible says, they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Now there are degrees of faith and different levels of faith. And the Bible says if without faith you can't please God. And Jesus says you can have even the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds that exist on earth. And you can go places with that. So if you've got this small portion of faith, it makes you children of Abraham. Now listen to this next one. We have this conjunction here, this and, this, like I like to pronounce it, senadaki. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Now, who is this that foresaw it? Was it George or Tom or, or Terry or Kevin? Moses or Isaiah? John or, or Jesus that it's talking about? No, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture is talking about the scripture. And it's revealing something absolutely profound. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify them. You mean that 
the scripture is a living word? Yes. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, and the word was made flesh. 1 John, chapter 1. The scripture is a living thing. It can conduct itself. It's made out of atoms. It's got energy to it. It's got mass to it. And it can foresee things. That's what it says. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith the scripture preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. That's the scripture that said it. That wasn't someone else with some famous name. That was the scripture, the living scripture, the word of God. When we begin to understand this word, that is the line that goes out as described in the 19th chapter of Psalms. And how that this mick, we call it, this mind-imbued creation is infused into everything that the universe consists of. And it creates the potential for everything that there can be. And we call that latolution. So all of these things are so important. The Bible says all of the prophets prophesied unto John. Matthew eleven thirteen through 4. What are they doing that for? Because the prophets speaking by the Holy Spirit, speaking the word by the Holy Spirit, recognized that there was a shift that was coming. And that shift went up to that point of John and it went up to that point and made a reckoning on the person who lived here with a different name and a different body who was to come back in a regeneration as John the Baptist and Jesus verified it to his disciples that yes, John is the Elijah that it says in the book of Malachi was to come. So before, before John was, was born, before his embryonic impanation of any extensive nature in his mother's body, he had a pre-body calling predestined on him. And that was a calling. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost within his mother's womb. Now, in the book of Psalms, when we read about the line that goes out, we also read about the 12 circuits of day and the 12 circuits of night. We also know when we carefully read the Bible the scripture talking to us. It tells us that in God there is really no difference between day and night. 
that they're the same to him. That is specifically how it says it in the scripture. And last week we showed you how that Moses went into the dark place to talk with God. And we read you other scriptures in Psalms, which are also recorded in, in 2 Samuel, about God coming down into these dark pavilions. So these circuits are like, are like circles. And sometimes in the math world, they have discovered that there are circuits or circles that are in tangent with one another. So that one circle, just slightly in some spot on that opposite circle or other circle, touches it. And it is like a revelation of the holy kiss when these two circuits just touch each other in this particular place. Now we have to note that when that does happen, that there are 360 degrees of that whole, let's say, of that whole circle. So it's only at some point and place of the scale that that tangent is happening, that touching is happening. So then that would mean that there are different places on the scale that there could be a tangent. It could be a 30-fold location in the scale of the 30-fold, or it could be a 60-fold location in the scale of the 60-fold, or it could be a 100-fold location in the scale of the 100-fold. And so these kind of degrees of circle, these kind of degrees of tangents give us different insights and understandings of time and geography and destiny. And they're very important. And we don't want to miss any part of it. Now, many things have happened in time. And I want to share you some awesomely beautiful things. I want to share to you, uh, with you, this story in John 8, 8. In John 8, 8, it talks about how that Jesus was at a particular place in Jerusalem. And there was a crowd that had followed him. But some of the Pharisees and Sadducees and some of the high-ups of the religious order of the Jews wanted to check out how Jesus would react to the law of Moses. And what the law of Moses said was to be done if a person transgressed a particular thing of the law. So they found this woman who was carrying on with some man in the very act of adultery, it says. So they brought this woman to Jesus and they said, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And Moses says in the law that this woman should be stoned 
till dead. What do you say? And Jesus didn't answer. Instead, he stooped down and began writing on the ground. And they were very suspicious, I am sure, because a lot of these people in that day and time were suspicious of evil forces. They were suspicious. They were afraid of, of, of things that might be dangerous that they did not have the power to overcome. And they had heard about miracles of Jesus. And here he was, stooped down and writing on the ground, writing in the sand. And I'm sure they made some other statements and were talking. And then Jesus wrote the second time. Now, a long, long, long time ago, when I was on a beach in Oregon, I had an experience while, as I sat there in which the sand began to sparkle in a very unusual way. Now, the thing that I never did share, and this is, I think, the first time I've ever shared it, was while I was sitting there, I went in the Spirit back into the Scripture, into the Living Word. And in that remote state of mind, I saw this whole thing happen with this group condemning this woman and Jesus writing in the sand. And I began to look because I seemed to be real close to him. He was just like next to me. And I could see his writing. And I began to see what he was writing. And it had different colors and different intensities. Like these words were incredible words that had the potential to mean a lot of different things. But what was specifically noticeable to me was the first writing said, not guilty by forgiveness of circumstances. And then I began to see that this woman was in desperate situation and she was only committing this adultery because she was selling her body to buy food and to buy medicine because she had a really sick family member. And Jesus knew all of this. And he saw all of this. And then he wrote again, and I saw that too. Father, let grace and mercy be the justice. And then Jesus stood and threw back his shoulders and he said, Whosoever has not sinned, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, these religious people 
began to drop their stones. And one by one, they walked away. Until after a while, Jesus turned to the lady and he said, Lady, where are thy accusers? And she says, they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way. Sin no more. The callings of God are written in the sands of time. The callings of God are written with living word. That word is written in the stars. That word is written in every atom, in every molecule, in every particle of the atoms. That word is written in books. Especially as we refer to the Bible, those words are not dead because the Bible says they appear to be dead because the word without the spirit does not allow them to show their life. But those same words in the Bible, once energized by the Spirit, come to life. They're living. Now, these beautiful things are so important. They are so beautifully important. Like you remember the story in Genesis of Jacob when he was fleeing from his brother Esau and he went out to this place. It later began, was called Bethel, House of God. And I've got to really minister all the things I want to about the city of God, but that isn't the message today. And in this dream and vision, he saw like this ladder or like this staircase. And angels were ascending and descending. Well, did you know that in John chapter 1, 51, That it says there that the days will come when you will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What was, what was being said? Jesus was saying, you want to know what that ladder was? What that lattice was? That was me. It says it right in the Bible. That was me. I am that lattice. And so when the Bible says in Isaiah 49, 5, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to as a servant bring Jacob again. This embryonic, it's so beautiful, embryonic impanation. Because now we see this ladder, and it is Jesus. Now we see this bringing again of Jacob on that ladder, who had the vision and the dream of that original 
story of the ladder. And Jacob has Joseph. Joseph tells a story to his brothers when they finally discover who he is. And he tells his brothers, he said, don't, don't be afraid of what you've done. He says, I know you feel, now this is in the Bible, he says, I know you believe that you did this awful thing to me. You put me in a pit, you made me a prisoner, you sold me off. But he said, that's what it says, you did not do this. He said, you did not do it. This was done by the Spirit. And he goes on to say, it was done to preserve, to preserve the plan of God. And I will get more into that part of the scripture a little later. But I just want, I just want you to get that because that is so utterly important and so utterly beautiful. And that is what it, the Bible says. It is written there. And Joseph says that. So now all of these connections are so important of the callings. They go back to Melchizedek. They incorporate Abraham. And by incorporating Abraham, they incorporate Melchizedek. And by incorporating Abraham, they incorporate the faith that then allows one day that all of the nations at that faith level become offspring of Abraham. And these are all the callings. Well, what is important is that you've got to get this calling down to where you understand it. And you've got to, these callings have to become fused in you so that you really understand what's going on. Solomon did a prayer. And I've called it intrinsic imagination. And this was in 1 Chronicles 29, 15 through 18. And part of that prayer, he says, O God of the fathers, keep this forever in the imaginations of the thoughts of the heart of thy people. And here was the point that he asked God that this imagination, because he understood that they couldn't comprehend it in the fullness. For the Bible says in the book of John, and the light shone in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But nevertheless, God, he, he, uh, God wanted this, and so Solomon by the Holy Spirit was put on to, to ask God for it, to keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of the people. One, we are strangers and sojourners, as were our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. One of the most important things that was a calling of remembrance, and even to be used as an aspect of intrinsic imagination, was that we are strangers and sojourners, and the people that have lived before us, and the people that live after us, need to understand that. 
because all part of the calling goes back to all these wonderful scriptures I read to you that tell about how that before we are even born, we have a belonging. We have a calling. We are in tangent with that mind of God that is above. Jesus writes on the ground. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Jesus is very, very connected to the Passover. And let me say this before we have a break here. This thing of the Passover, which is such a major thing because it ties in to the reason and the why that they were able to escape Egypt. The Passover was exactly what it meant. An act of power of force of God to allow the people of people, pardon me, of Israel to escape Egypt. And in roughly 30 AD, AD does not mean after death, it means the year of the Lord. Anno Domin, medieval Latin. In 30 AD, John 2.13, Jesus is involved with the Passover in Jerusalem. A year later, in 31 AD, in John, John 5.1, Jesus is involved. So we got Jesus involved in, the, in what they estimate to be the year 30 AD. And it speaks of it in John 2.13. In the year 31 AD, in John 5.1, it talks about Jesus being involved with the Passover. In 33 AD, in John 6.4, it talks about Jesus being involved with the Passover. And in 34 AD, it talks about Jesus being involved in John 11.55 in the Passover, which connects eventually to the, to the crucifixion and the offering of his blood, which was big in the Passover. Ladies and gentlemen, the Passover, the escape, the connection to the Egyptian thing, the connection to the Passover thing, is so big in what are the callings that God wants to bring all the minds of the Christians into to know. Because without that, the foundation basis is wanting. Janet at the organ.
I thank you again, Janet Lee. You're right on target with the thunder of that sound. Wow. Thank you. All right, let's move on. So, there are so many incredulous revelations that abound around about this deep insight of Scripture. Because that Scripture is a living thing. And I understand that. And sometimes I can just envision myself getting into the energy by, by doing what Jesus suggests, going through the needle's eye, becoming so small that you become like a, a proton. And then you enter into the, the atoms of the word and you swim through all of those atoms and feel the awesome power of the Word of God. Now, in all of this revelation of, of all that was happening to Moses, in Exodus 3.14, <clears throat> He is talking to God, and he says, well, who will I tell the Pharaoh that has given me this authority, this power, this inspiration to go and challenge him who's the head of, of one of the most powerful military nations on earth? He says, you tell him that I am, that I am, has sent you. I am. Now, when you get into this word, I am, and I am, because the word that can be and or that or who, can be several things. And you break that down, it ends up being, being equivalent to what's called the tetragonaton, which are four Letters, W H W or V H. W can be a V or an H in the Hebrew. So if we go, go W H W H, then you are are allowed uh, to to uh, do some very interesting things with that word. Um, and uh, we we want we want to show you that, um, and we want to take and turn that around a little bit to to Y H W H, and we want to show you how that if you follow the the Hebrew idiom that you have the right to add your vowels. That is something that, when spoken verbally, was known just by the contextuality of the subject. So now you would put a vowel in between Y and H, and it gives you YAH. Okay? And 
Then you take the last H, and in the Hebrew concept, you can double your you can double your 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 your, your, your letters, and you can actually repeat or double what was the arrangement of the letters before. So the letters before that had the H in it also had a Y that preceded it. So now then you can go the first YH and put an A in between. Go to the last H, put a Y before it and an A, which is the same thing, and you've got yah, yah, and then the W can also be a V, and V stands for and. So then that gives you, in a proper total sense of translation, yah and yah. And you don't take it backwards like some people try to do with a WH, WH, because it's actually in the proper language setup, it's actually YH, YH. Now, as we begin to, to look at this, um, and we see that the Y becomes a V, and that the H then belongs to another Y, and we got the Yah and the Yah, let me now go to the Seven Thunders book, page 187, and I want to read this absolutely awesome writ. Sometimes it is foretokened that certain acts be initiated, that in clearing the past, they also will clear the future. You may somehow have upturned a consecrated, consecrated stone, Luther. Our divine master never withdraws Am's love from anyone, not from anyone, unless Am's love is rejected. To each of us belongs a time and a chance. Although to us physical creatures, time has relevance. Time in the first domain, the first domain, as God, does not exist, or the first domain with God does not exist. Consequently, Alpha and Omega occur the same event. So now we begin to understand that there are situations in existence that have a time. But we do remember in the Bible that it says, and time shall be no more. So we know that there are places that time does not exist. Consequently, Alpha and Omega occur as the same event. Subsequently, calculating from the perspective that every Luma number has three positions, four functions can be derived by a minus plus being divided by a plus. So now if you take a, like in arithmetic, a minus and a plus, and you divide it by a plus, where the indices minus and the plus are shown as variables, and where minus and plus equal two positions of equal volume, 
but opposite energy, and where division, division as divided equals a third position as an equilibrate, you begin to get some interesting facts. Now, is this all in the Bible? Yes, it is. It's all part of what actually is shown when we get into the Word and we really begin to put it into its perspectives. However, when plus, the plus sign is directly preceded by the division sign, it equals four functions. Now listen to this. The four functions, when you take a plus sign and you precede it by a division sign, <coughs> because you are dividing the plus, you, it equals four functions being Y, H, W, H, as follows. Y as representing place. H <coughs> as representing was. W as representing is. And H as representing to be. Furthermore, the square of these functions generate one constant, one of timelessness, Y, three variables of time, H, W, H, being past, present, and future, since such variables must contain an unction contra and an unction motique. An unction con contra is timelessness as attached in a parallel, and a contra motique is generation potentials. Now, you should get this book if you don't have it, because this book, The Seven Thunders Manifest Chronicles, is from the first chapter of the Holy Manifest that was revealed by Gabriel. And now we are beginning to see, as we look at four letters, that those four letters can actually mean two, two entities, Yah and Yah. And in the meaning of those two uh, unities and entities, there is placement. And this placement, when we go into the special values of those letters, not values that some other kind of religious ideas are, are, are used, but used in the sense of the explanation that I've given you, you begin to get into these incredible revelations of place, like the way, the Father's house, and the was, the is, and the to be, which is what it constantly says in the book of Revelation. That which was, that which is, that which is to be. It was said over and over and over again throughout the whole book of Revelation, those three different aspects, because they incorporated in all of the various uh, uh, comparatives that were given, and they represented really important connections to the Tetragrammaton, the name that people do not know what it means because the name of it has been lost. But that was considered to be the name of God. And it's the name of God that was lost. But it incorporates both the Yah and the Yah, the Father and the Son. And that is so important in, in some additional things that I'm going to be sharing with you in just a little bit. Now, as we begin to see this and look at this, that this name that was revealed, I am, 
and I am to Moses was something that had been lost and something divine and something powerful and something no doubt that when a person has received this in the fullest revelation, they are empowered in a way that people that have not received it in the fullness are not empowered. Because it is very much like that ladder which Joseph realized was a gate into heaven, a portal into heaven. It was a portal into the, the city of God. And that's how important that moment when Moses asked the Lord, what is the name that I shall give? He said, the name is, I am, and I am. And that was the Tetrachromaton. Now, I want to go back a little bit here into the book of Genesis, of Exodus, chapter 1, and read. And in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And the Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born of the children of Israel you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Who was he talking to? The Bible says that he was in the 15th verse. He was talking to these persons who were midwives. And he gives their names in the 15th verse. And they were told that they were to kill every male child that came out at birth. Now, they had a calling from the Pharaoh, the most powerful man probably on the face of the earth at the time. He had the power to say, if you don't obey me, I will have all of your family put through horrible torture. And so it wasn't no light thing to just say, hey, I'm not going to do it. You had to have a way, a Passover, a path. They couldn't just say to him, although this was the intent, because the scripture says that they could not do that. They could not agree with the Pharaoh to be obedient to him and kill all the men. So what did they say to the Pharaoh? Well, they said, when he said to them, why haven't you done what I told you? They said, well, these Israel women, these Jews, they're not like our Egyptian ladies, or like the Egyptian ladies. But when they go to have a child, it just slips out before we can even get there. And so we can't do our secret thing to kill the, the, the child that's a boy because they're already there and breathing and, and, and crying and alive. And they took a call from the Pharaoh that said, kill these people. And the threat of not obeying him 
was a major thing. And they had to find a way that would be believed and would be accepted by the Pharaoh so that they could keep the call of being true to Israel and true to God. Now, some people say, well, you just have to run away and get out of here. There's no place to go where you're trying to get away by yourself from a pharaoh. So then they needed an answer. They needed a circuit. And they got it. And when they did this, the Bible says in the 17th verse that the midwives feared God and, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men alive. And then in the 20th verse it says, Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed uh, very mightily. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. These midwives, these two ladies, ended up getting houses. They hadn't been living in houses, probably in some kind of, of, of not very well made, many times second-handed tents or something. They were made houses because they got by with looking like they were obeying the, the, the uh, Pharaoh, but they didn't choose to heed his call, but they were very careful how they replied to it. Now, what is this message about today on the callings? It's saying that there are things in life in which you just think that there's no way out. You have to do these certain things. There's no way out. And God's saying, there are ways out. There are things that can be done so that you do not have to go into those disobedience and serious uh, 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 decisions that would be against God and against God's people. And now, let's, let's take this a little further. So we see then the 23rd verse, the 22nd verse, and Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river. Now, he bypasses the midwives, and he says directly to the, to the Israel people, Every son that you have, you've got to cast them into the river. But the women that are born, the, the, the girls, can be, they, they can be saved alive. Now, in the second chapter, it says, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife to daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. Now, she's under this order of the Pharaoh to kill any son that she has by casting him into the river. She needs what we call a causeway. Because if she's not careful, she will end up, the Pharaoh killing her, killing her child, all of her children anyway, and her husband, and maybe a lot of the relatives. You can't mess with the Pharaoh. So she needed a causeway. And so, what was the command of the Pharaoh? To cast the son into the river. 
So what does she do? In the verse 3 of chapter 2, she, after she could not hide Moses any longer, she took for him the ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And she posted the baby's sister to stand afar off and watch what might happen to this little baby Moses that had been put by the river. And the daughter of the Pharaoh came, the fifth verse of the second chapter, the daughter of the Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. Then said his sister to the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is having children that are into the spirit and into the spirit of love and protection for their siblings. And she went to the Pharaoh's daughter and she said, shall I go and, oh, and first I should say that the Pharaoh's daughter uh, there's something very interesting that, that happened there first that we should read. Let, let's read that first. So she saw the ark among the flags and she sent her maid to, fe to, to fetch it. And when she had opened up this ark, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept. Now, someone says, well, you know, that's a baby. That's, a, that's just a thing they do. No, I think it's way more than that. I think that this embryonic impanation that I'm talking about. When a person, by ever cell in their body as it's being formed in the embryonic state, has in them, in the impanation, the message of God, the call of God, so that even the Holy Ghost, they have the fullness of the Holy Ghost. I think that something spectacular had to happen because the daughter was the daughter of Pharaoh and she knew about the whole story of these babies being cast away into the river. And I think that when this Moses baby cried, that an intuitive unction came on his little being, his little body, and he cried a very unusual wailing kind of prayer and that wailing kind of crying had an effect on the daughter of Pharaoh and it says and she had compassion on him and said this is one of the Hebrew children then said the sister to the Pharaoh's daughter shall I go and call, a, call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And the Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. <laughs> and the Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, 
and I will give you wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Now the woman got her own child back. And she's being paid by the daughter of the Pharaoh <laughs> to nurse her own baby and care for her own baby. Because she found a causeway. She was obedient to the Pharaoh. She did put him into the river, but she put him into the river in an ark. Now, I'm telling you, the callings of God call for the wisdom of God. To be wise as a serpent sometime and harmless as a dove. The callings of God, you don't just say, this is it, black and white, stone them, kill them. Cut off their head. You have to understand like Jesus understood. When he was on the cross, and when he prayed and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And she put her baby, Moses, into this little ark. Now, listen to this. I want you to get this. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and listen to this. And she called his name Moses. Now why was Moses called Moses? And she said, because I drew him out of the water. The curse, the order of the Pharaoh was to throw them into the water. The mother obeyed that by putting them into the water, but in the safety of a little boat, a little ark. She found a causeway. <laughs> that causeway allowed her to get paid for taking care of her own baby. That causeway allowed her to then have that child not be killed, who was a destined person. That child was moved on by the Holy Spirit to cry in such a way that it caused this Pharaoh's daughter who could have had any child that she wanted with all her position and her wealth but to go ahead and accept this Hebrew child those of the slave group to be her own very son because something about the way that child cried communicated to her it called to her. It found a mother's instinct in her. It found some other kind of a deep reality that connected all humans to being relative by the Spirit, that connected something that was beyond the beyond. And the causeway then allowed Moses to be able to be trained in all the ways and the wisdoms and the knowledge of the pharaohs. So he would know just what to do when the time come that the calling became pronounced on him to lead his people out of Egypt. It is truly a beautiful Exodus story. It is awesome. It is beautiful. 
It is beautiful. So when Moses left with his over 600,000 man army and a few other helpers, they ended up at the mount called Sinai. And it is very, very interesting that the Pharaoh that is called Kofu, K-H-U-F-U, and who is said to have built the largest pyramid in Giza, that that pharaoh's name is the only name of any pharaoh that has ever been found inscribed in that pyramid. And it's found inscribed in that pyramid in the chamber of the great pyramid of Giza. But that's not the only place that that pharaoh's name has been inscribed. That pharaoh's name has also been inscribed on a major rock on the Mount of Sinai. Now, it's interesting that it has been acknowledged from studies that the chambers of that pyramid point to the stars mentioned in Job 38, these special groups of stars, the Pleiades with their sweet influences, the bands of Orion, Arturus with his sons, and involved in mentioning the Mazoroth, Job 38, 31 through 33. And how that this incorporates aspects of the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper. And how that there are leading stars that point from one area to another area that eventually lines up pointing to the Father's house location. So that the call from the mountain. Yes, it was ten laws. But before it was ten laws of judgment, it had been ten laws of love. And incorporated in those ten laws of love was all of the revelation about who we are and where we came from and a place that has been designated as explained in the 14th chapter of the book of St. John, called the Father's House, that is beckoning us and calling us. For Jesus says, I am not of this world. And so, we begin to see that there are times that a call from the mountain is so relevant and so deep. There's the call of the mountain of Hermon, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Mount 
that is divided into three different mountains and other plateaus. And on one part of those mountains is the dark forces. And on the other part of those mountains is represented the good angel forces. And just off to one side, a mountainous area of Bashan, where the giants lived, that Joshua was, was to kick out. There is so much that is involved. Jan played today, I think she played that song, Climb Every Mountain. The Bible says, you must conquer the mountains. In Judges 1.19 it says, Judah drove out the inhabitants of the mount. There are times that there are possessions of something that belongs to you. Possessions of something that is part of your destiny. And those things that are blocking that have to be driven out. And Jesus says, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you may say to this mountain, be thou plucked up and cast into the sea. When mountains become an obstacle, when they become an unknown, when there are revelations that you cannot perceive, cannot see, when there, is, when there are streams of knowledge that you cannot interpret, It is not that they cannot be solved. It is not that there is not a solution. When it seems that for you it is impossible in every respect, intellectual-wise, geology-wise, financial-wise, to do the things that you need to do, You may have to find a causeway. Because there's always a causeway. There's always a way. You have to get into that brain of yours and deal with it. Because there are countless electrical processes going on. For one train of thought, or another train of thought, and for a call to enter a unified consciousness so that the things that you think can make sense. And knowing how to use the different hemispheres, the musical right hemisphere, and the logical left hemisphere, and the convage or convergence of the midbrain, so that consciousness through merges with subconscious control and integration can have its processes. Because, after all, the brain holds holographic maps of all the body patterns in diffuse and local forms in the same way as your mind holds inner maps of your outer world. You know, True progress will never be completed. We'll just pass on without having been finished 
unless you can, by your flesh, come to understand what is relative to your destiny. And then your spirit can be, get involved. It is so important. In Joseph, Genesis 45, 4 through 8, it talks about, and this is the discussion that Joseph had with his brothers, that the reason that he was sent to Egypt was not their fault, but it was to preserve a posterity for them and their people and Israel. And that is the book of generations of Adam. And that is the book of life. And so there are all these kinds of calls. The call for decency, the call for action, the call for love, the call for defiance, the call uh, to resistance, the call to sometimes disguise. And we know that in the bands of spinnings, that a spin in one direction creates the positive energy, and the spin in the other direction creates the negative. So we have to understand that the call of the universe to create life conscious of God is available. And it existed as herbs and plants in a state of conceptuality before they were ever planted on the earth. So that as an invisible aspect without mass, having no materialization, but having full potential to become engendered into a physical reality, they only need it to be nudged by the word to come about. Now we're getting close to the end here. So there are calls of nature. Sometimes a person has pain in their body and that pain is a call of warning. Sometimes people are ill of feeling and that is a call that there's something not right, something missing. Calls of nature are calls. We have to answer the calls that we hear that are important. There are other kinds of calls and urges on the animal side of the mortal that we should not answer. And we know that there was a call to Noah to build a massive ark, a massive Moses ark. And we begin to see, as we come to the, the close of this meeting here today, that sometimes out in space there is what is called a supernova explosion, which if it were close to the solar system, it would be able to devastate and destroy all the planets orbiting, wipe out all life that was there. But we must begin thinking of a consciousness in a new and different way so that we can transcend ordinary space. Our consciousness need not be confined in our brains. Mental confinement and constriction 
must be overcome. Consciousness and intelligence are not derivatives of matter. And the conflicting and, and clashing of energies that surround ourselves and that are fused into memories must be overcome and rooted out so that we can forget everything of such a nature and leave it behind and we can press toward the mark of the high calling, Janet Lee.